the thing that really appeals to me about long distance um, through adventures, whether it's a hike or the bike ride I was on or the raft adventure that I've done more recently, um, is the simplification of life. It's your your entire existence goes down to getting from A to B every day. That's all you have to look after. There's no emails. There's no social media. There's no checking whether so-and-so over in Office 674 is okay with your proposal. There's none of that to worry about. It's just get from here to here and be fed at some point along the way that's there's nothing more um freeing than than having that that simplification of everyday life this is Aotearoa Adventures with your host Abigail Hanna the podcast for everything you need to know to travel New Zealand I talk to photographers van lifers moms students and everyday Kiwis to hear their inspiring stories from past adventures and to share helpful tips and tricks for your travels Whether you're visiting Aotearoa for the first time and live on the road, or you work a 9 to 5 and have lived in New Zealand your whole life, you're guaranteed to learn something to plan your next getaway and get a new excitement to explore more of this beautiful country I call home. So grab your hiking boots, hop in the car, and turn up the volume. If you've ever cooked a meal from scratch in the bush, you'd know how challenging it is. Backcountry Cuisine have solved this problem with freeze-dried meals that are lightweight, delicious, nutritious, and so easy to prepare. With breakfast, lunch, dinner and dessert options, as well as vegetarian, vegan-friendly and gluten-free meals, they have something for every adventurer. Backcountry Cuisine are my go-to for yummy meals on the trail, and I also keep a stash in the van, just in case. For quick and easy meals for all your outdoor adventures, use the code ABIGAIL for free shipping off your next order. That's A-B-I-G-A-I-L for free shipping off your next Backcountry Cuisine delivery. Head to the link in the description to find out more. Kia ora, welcome to the Aotearoa Adventures podcast. Today, um, I've got Dunk Wilson as a guest on the show. Would you like to introduce yourself? Kia ora, yeah, my name's Dunk Wilson. I consider myself an adventurer and I am officially an author and I wouldn't go so far as to say I'm a photographer, but I am a content creator who likes to spend as much time as possible in the outdoors. Yeah, that's awesome. Whereabouts in Aotearoa are you based? What do you do for work? Currently, I'm based in Nelson, Whakatū Nelson. Um, Not been based here really very long in terms of my time in Aotearoa. Uh, Spent most of my 15 years here as an Aucklander. I'm afraid to say (laughs) and sort of by accident we found ourselves here for all of 2023 it was just sort of uh, sort of it came from a bit of misfortune actually Uh, a friend of mine was a little bit sick diagnosed with something pretty awful at the end of last year Mm. and I was mid uh, midway through a epic adventure at the time when he called me and told me and I just immediately my head just went I want to go and be with him and my partner was working down in Cromwell at the time and at the beginning of the year I just sort of jumped on a ferry and brought the car over and hung out in Cromwell for January and then drove up the west coast which I mean it's the best way to arrive anywhere isn't it driving up state highway six but drove up the west coast and haven't really left Nelson I worked one month in Motueka 
earlier in the year and I'm going over to Blenheim for December but yeah I'm top of the south. Oh that's awesome well that's where we're actually headed this summer for probably most of January so I'll have to Mm -hmm. pick your brain on some of the fun spots and fun things to do up there. Definitely can give you some tips yeah. Tell me a little bit about your childhood dunk have you always been an adventurer was your family sort of encouraged you to get outdoors or was that something that you came across later on in life? So you may be able to tell from the accent I'm not sure Uh, I grew up in London and if you're familiar with the geography of London there's about one and a half hills in all of London. (laughs) So it's not the same as Auckland. (laughs) It's definitely the opposite to Auckland in terms of hills but I actually grew up on the biggest hill in London which is Shooters Hill in southeast London um, which is a whopping, you ready for this, 100 metres above sea level and so yeah it takes all of I don't know I think I can get from the common up to the top in about seven and a half minutes Um, (laughs) and so I wouldn't say we were you know thrown into these sort of adventures I've come to familiar come to love here in in Aotearoa uh, mm. as a, as young children but my parents didn't have a whole heap of money growing up so one thing that I'm really thankful for was the holidays we did get which were camping holidays um and we would go camping in France we would drive overnight get the ferry and, and go camping in France yeah. uh, the Lake District which is a phenomenal part of England, uh, up on the northwest coast there, uh, full of actual almost mountains and lakes. We call them they call they're called fells for some reason. I'm not sure whether that's just because that's what you you do when you're walking in them, but um, yeah, they're called fells, the hills and the lakes. And that's we would also go to North Wales as well, where there are actual mountains, mm, uh, Snowdon yeah. being the most famous one. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, so spent yeah a lot of a lot of time sleeping in tents. Um, Riding bikes around campgrounds, uh, paddling all sorts of weird and wonderful watercraft uh, that we either created ourselves. So I remember building rafts and all sorts of things out of barrels and stuff. And sometimes we'd take sailing boats out just to jump off them. Um, so there's <laughs> certainly an adventurous element to my to yeah. my youth. Yeah, uh, and oh, I was a scout awesome. too. Yeah, that's really cool. It sounds like you definitely had um, a lot of the outdoors in your in your childhood and in your holidays and stuff. Um, and I love that you kind of just made adventures and made made everything fun. It sounds sounds pretty awesome for a childhood. Yeah, I was, I was consider myself one of the lucky ones. Yeah, and yeah. A, a few years ago, a friend and I did the Capital Ring, which is a walk around London. It's something like 160 kilometer uh, walk. I made him, poor bugger, he's um, he's not tremendously fit. I made him do it in four <laughs> days, and uh, I, you know, over a various, you know, over a couple of months, and we'd meet up one one weekend every month and do 40 kilometers or something and I realized that I grew up in the greener part of London um, mm. having walked around the circumference of it I was found myself very uh, grateful to where I for where I'd grown up by the end of it because mm. we have this phenomenal tra- uh, ancient woodland and and green green parks everywhere in southeast London and oh, northwest really London cool. they have nothing like it <laughs> Well, tell me how you ended up in Aotearoa. What prompted the move here um, and what did that all look like? Oh, I'd like to say that it was down to me and some skills that I was able to come and bring the, the, yeah. the country or 
because uh, you know I had some wonderful uh, some wonderful work experience that I could con- contribute to New Zealand society. But at the end of the day, it came <laughs> down to the fact I just I dated the wrong person. Well, it's one way to to sort of end up on the other side of the world. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I was twenty seven and met this girl who'd been living in London for seven years or so, and mm. she felt it was about time to to return to her home country, and I came along with her. And we had a nice place out in West Auckland for a while and mm-hmm. everything seemed good. And then one day we just weren't together anymore. And that's fine. That's that's how life was meant to roll for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I appreciate the opportunities it opened by being able to live in this wonderful country and see this wonderful country. And I, I'm not sure I would have even moved overseas from where I was I was brought up if I hadn't met her. So I'm, I'm fully appreciative to what happened there Mm, Um, I think that's really special that you do see the silver lining of a situation that might have not been perfect um I think yeah everything in life sort of just takes us one step forward to where we are today so I feel like for me at least like nothing goes to waste everything's just sort of a step in a direction that takes you to your future I suppose definitely yeah I mean (laughs) in the interest of keeping this a cliche free zone I won't say everything (laughs) happens for a reason I just said it um but you're you're right there with with the way you put it and I think you put it in a in a better way <laughs> well Dunk you're an author um and I haven't read your book yet but it sounds really cool what is it about um my book is about my first epic Aotearoa adventure which happened in 2015 which feels like a well, it feels like a long time ago it also feels mm. like just yesterday that I I, yeah. I rolled to the finish line but um I cycled the coastline of New Zealand. So I jumped on a bike early in January 2015 and I didn't go on the first. That would have been a, a terrible idea with a hangover. <laughs> but I went on the 2nd of January. I left from Mission Bay in Auckland and just followed the coast as best I could, keeping left effectively um, okay, on a clockwise, so clockwise, clockwise yep. loop of the North Island, got to Wellington, went and did a clockwise loop of the South Island, got yep. to bluff and was uh straight on the ferry and went and did as much as i could and cycled to the southernmost point of stewart island you're allowed to take oh, a bike awesome. and did a loop of stewart island Rakura, and then carried on back on the south island to waiponamu up the west coast and mm-hmm. then did the west coast of the north island and finished back at mission bay so confirmed um not that i had any suspicions and i'm not a conspiracy theorist <laughs> but confirmed that the map of new zealand that we all know and love and look at and regard that shape as part of our identity here in aotearoa is accurate and is true um my bike and my gps drew around it that's pretty epic and i'm glad that we have that confirmation and now we know for certain um, <laughs> just in case there was any doubt um had anyone done that big loop that coast of new zealand cycle before you had or were you the first person to have done that i like to claim i'm the first person and okay. there's a little bit of ego involved in that and i don't mind admitting <laughs> that but also there's another reason i like to claim that i was the first person to cycle the coastline of new zealand and that is it just brings out all these other characters out of the woodwork who say no 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 i did it or no 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 my uncle did it in 1974 <laughs> and i'm i'm cool with that i'm you know yeah. i just like to claim i'm the first because i'm the first to claim i'm the first um uh, the interesting thing about the people who do come out of the woodwork and claim that so-and-so did it is that when I try and engage with them and have a conversation and say, oh, well, I'd like to hear about that story, you know, that sounds like mm. an amazing adventure. 
they go quiet, um, mm. which leads me to believe that maybe they're internet trolls, but they may be genuine and they may just not see my reply. But I would love to hear from someone who, who thinks they have cycled around the coastline okay. or knows someone who cycled around the coast of New Zealand yeah. and cycled all the beaches. And this is this was the sort of the silly thing about what I did was that I told a really good bike friend of mine what I wanted to do. And his first response was, yeah, well, the salt on the sand's going to wreck your bike. And any cyclist... Yeah worth their salt knows that that's true that the sand and the salt is terrible for an expensive bike to be Mm. around for too long so i mean people ride mountain bikes on the beach and you get away with it to a certain extent but the amount of chains i got through on this ride um, (laughs) kind of proved its point and he was right how many chains did you get through Uh, uh, oh you've got me now it was at least five yeah (laughs) i'm gonna go six (laughs) it may have been seven um, I lost count after a while, but I managed to sort of slow down the wear and tear a little bit later okay. on yeah. um, by just caring for the bike a little bit better. I found in certain parts and certain some of the places I was staying, I wasn't able to to rinse the bike down as well. Mm. As, um, as later mm-hmm. on, I got, I got a little bit more proficient at, at yeah. keeping the bike clean. And- well, that sounds like such an incredible expedition, and I've just got so many questions. Um, but how did this idea first come about? Like, what what got into your head that thought, "Hey, I want to cycle all around New Zealand"? I think the actual cycle, rather than the detail of it, the actual going on the beaches was a later thing. But the actual wanting to get out and do an adventure and and simplify life a little bit came mm. from working in Auckland. Uh, effectively I didn't really it wasn't a nine-to-five job but it was kind of a nine-to-five equivalent job for five and a half years I during that time I I turned 30 I my relationship had ended um I'd traveled a little bit around Aotearoa but I hadn't seen the country Mm. like I have now and there was something back of my mind and in my heart that said you need to get out and see this place you've moved here yeah all you've done is work and a lot of my leave time was spent just flying back to the UK I've got Mm. four weeks leave a year some of that would be burnt up with the Christmas shutdown and everything and then just about be able to scrape a trip to the UK every two years which I absolutely resonate with that because when we first moved over we had family overseas and every single holiday you just felt like you had to go over and spend it with family um and actually the 2020 lockdowns were a blessing in disguise because it was like hey we can actually go to the south island (laughs) we can explore our backyard um and that was just i think a really transformational winter actually was our first um road trip and now it just feels like our whole world has grown a bit bigger and the south island's part of it (laughs) and before that all we saw was auckland and home wherever that was overseas so yeah it's wild Um if you look for them, the silver linings are in anything. And, and mm. that's the silver lining of COVID was that we got to have this beautiful country, this land to 100%, ourselves for yeah. a year and a half, two years. Yes, um, there's lots of terrible things that happened around that as well. And I'm not diminishing that, but mm. there was. I went to Queenstown for a week and just hung out in Queenstown, like hiking around the mountains and yeah. camping in the middle of town. And there was nobody there. And sure, there was it was terrible and on the business side of things and everything but but for me as a tourist it was wonderful yeah yeah no that's that's really cool yeah that was so that was the reason for for getting out on the bike ride and just wanting to do something was just and um, you get wrapped up in our nine to five lives and 
we forget what life's about. Is that sort of another yeah. cliche? But um, remembering to um, work to live, not live to work. Yeah, and I love that so much. The thing that really appeals to me about long distance um, through adventures, whether it's a hike or the bike ride I was on or the raft adventure that I've done more recently, um, is the simplification of life. It's your your entire existence goes down to getting from A to B every day. That's all you have to look after. There's no emails. There's no social media. There's no checking whether so-and-so over in Office 674 is okay with your proposal. There's none of that to worry about. <laughs> Now. it's that just get from to here hunt. to here and be yeah. fed at some point along the way yeah. that's there's nothing more um freeing than than having that that simplification of everyday life and especially mm. in 2023 in the 20, in the 2000s in this modern era we live in to be able to mm. simplify things down to just that 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 simple simple step it's yeah. wonderful that's incredible and a lot of people that I've spoken to about the Te Araroa Trail say something quite similar. Um, just mm. getting out of that every day and just you're doing one thing and you're just exactly what you said, getting from A to B. Um, I think, yeah, I think I guess all sort of expeditions, whether you're cycling or you're walking or you're mountaineering or you're pack rafting, um, just doing doing something simple. I just I just love the way that you put that and you've you've summed it up so perfectly the 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 simplicity of it allows you time to take in everything else around you as well so you actually taste the air and you actually hear the breeze mm. in the trees and you actually smell the smells of new zealand native bush which by the way is sort of one of the most addictive smells that <laughs> but you no i know to people i should say these days um so uh yeah it's um it's that freeing of uh that freeing of the mind it just takes over you and you just you become addicted to it you you we probably are all addicted to it without realizing it and some of us have just never left the city so we don't realize (laughs) it but there is there's just something innately human about it i think it's a salt air for me that's that's something i keep finding myself needing more of yeah 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 you probably had plenty of that on your coastal loop i never slept so good in all my life oh that's amazing (laughs) tell (laughs) me about the logistics did you plan much of it or was it just i'm heading in this direction and we'll figure the rest out on the way uh 50 50 i planned and planned and planned and i opened um map my run and I was there plotting points trying to figure out you know could I get across this gravel road and would this paper road be open and can I get along this beach oh that beach is made of stone so I have to go in on the road there and yeah. all this so I got I did that as far as I think I did that as far as the wider upper so Mission Bay round Coromandel mm-hmm. down yeah. round East Cape and then got to the wider upper and then yeah. I just went I'm gonna wing it from here <laughs> or I ran out of time <laughs> or there were other more important parts of planning the journey to to look, look for so I just thought oh, I'll worry about the South Island when I get there and and so on and also um it was only so much you could plan because I couldn't predict how far each I was going to get each day there was mm. this amazing thing happened where if you're on a tar sealed road and you're just riding up a tar sealed road all day you can cover 100 150 kilometers fairly comfortably especially once I got my fitness yeah but 
if I was bashing through forest, uh, riding on grass behind a beach, then a little bit of beach riding, and then having to ford across a river or, or a stream or something on on the beach, it would take me all day to do thirty kilometers. Mm. You know, so it was yeah. it was really hard to predict how far I was going to be able to get each day. I would just sort of each. I realized fairly early on I was just going to have to sort of learn to guesstimate as best as possible yeah. where I was going to get to, but it was never going to be that accurate. And some nights I was going to be sort of overestimating and arriving in the dark and some nights it's going to be an early finish, but I tried not to have too many early finishes. We all yeah. try and get as far as we can when we do these things. Eh? What was the seasons like when you were doing this and were you tenting the whole time or what was your accommodation like? I started in summer in Auckland in a tent and camped for a great deal of, well, all but a few friends who put me up along the the east coast of the North Island. And then I got to the South Island and I camped a good way down and then there was more and more people heard about the journey because I was raising money for St. John along the way. So people who volunteer for St. John were offering me accommodation. I actually stayed in the Timaru St. John ambulance station overnight. They have a guest room and they put me up there. (laughs) I started to get beds here and there a little bit more often. Um, uh, some some f- friends who I worked with, Marcus Lush, who I worked with at Radio Live, put me up in his house in Blaf. Um, and then winter came. And by that time, I had met a couple of other touring cyclists who were doing charity runs as well. And they yeah. they said, email the holiday parks. They've, it's winter. They've got empty rooms. I'm sure they'll give you one. And I gave it a go a couple of times as I came up um, – up the west coast and i got some some really kind replies from holiday park managers and owners and a, a, a you know a cabin so not like the mm. most luxurious room in the world but had a heater had a kettle had all i needed when i rolled in at, um westport for example when i rolled in right after a thunderstorm in westport <laughs> and uh, crawled my way to the uh, the showers it was it was nice to have yeah. you know people looking out for me in that way so i got more and more of that over winter that's really awesome to have that um real life experience of kiwi hospitality isn't it yeah yeah it really um went straight to my heart and uh, made me love this country even more yeah. <laughs> it's really hard not to gush about new zealand but i really do love <laughs> new zealand so much and um and the bike ride really hammered that home for me and sealed the deal. As mm-hmm. um, I mean, I did leave the country for eight months afterwards, but that was—I had no job, and I felt like now's my chance to run back to London if I'm ever going to do it. Now's the chance, <laughs> give it a go. And then it was 2016, and we all know what happened in the UK in 2016. So <laughs> no, I was—I was straight out of there as soon as I could. Oh, that's funny. You mentioned that you started in summer and it was winter. How long was this whole trip? How many days was the whole expedition from Mission Bay back to Mission Bay? Yeah, it took eight months. Um, yeah. I'm not sure well, I'm not sure that it would take most people eight months, but I had a lot of issues along the way. Um, mm. Eight months, it was six and a half months actually on the bike. So it was about okay. what I called because everyone said to me, how long is it going to take? And I'd done this 
back of the napkin calculation, <laughs> 80 <laughs> kilometers a day. It's this far. It's going to take me six and a half, six to seven months was my, was my total call. What okay. I didn't factor in was that I was going to have a head first crash down a bank on the Queen Charlotte track, which was going to knock oh. me out for two weeks. Um, I was going to ride the Heafy track, uh, and the morning of leaving Kadamir to ride the Heafy track, I was going to discover my rear wheel had a big crack in it. Um, and I was more than hundred kilometers from the nearest bike shop. Uh, there were all sorts of issues along the way, which, mm. which meant days off the bike, which were really hard. Actually, it was surprisingly difficult to stay awake when mm. you're not on the bike during something like that. It's That's almost really like a sort of miniature fatigue sets in. You've mentioned some of the challenges, but is there one that sort of jumps out at you as like the most challenging thing that you encountered on that expedition? Yeah, uh, mid Canterbury was. Oh, I forget the name. Cyclone Pam, that's the one. So Cyclone Pam sort of did more damage to the North Island, Mm. but there were these weird spin-off effects in the south, and it was basically causing 100-kilometer strong winds to just lash from the east as I tried to cycle gravel roads. So between um, Banks Peninsula and Timaru, uh, I was unable to ride the beaches because they're all pebbly stones down there. So I had to ride the farm gravel roads sort of half a kilometer inland from from the beaches. And I was essentially riding south with the winds on my left hand side leaning the bike over to counteract the wind but wow. then the wind would drop so i'd almost fall off yeah. um and then if the wind wasn't dropping it was gusting it was sort of actually yeah. pushing me yeah. on the gravel sideways to the right towards the right hand side of the road it was horrendous and this went on for a few days and i had rain in the eyes at the same time yeah. i think wind is the absolute worst when you're on a two-wheeler um i ride a <laughs> yeah. motorbike I commute on a motorbike and the days when it's windy it's exactly as you described like that fighting the wind and being on a lean and you're just like this is not good (laughs) yeah yeah it's yeah I mean you you shouldn't have to compensate but you do that's just the only way like it's either compensate (laughs) or get blown over the other way um the only other worst thing is when a truck goes by as well which you'll know about (laughs) the drag from the trucks which on a push bike was just horrendous a push bike weighing far too much my my trip was very very much a um, learn how to do cycle touring trip as well. Mm. Like talk about just jumping in at the deep end. I um I'd done one night, one overnighter on a on a cycle tour beforehand, and that was on the same bike I did this ride on, just from Auckland up to Pungaparo, a peninsula, yeah. stayed at Shakespeare, and then rode back the next day. Yeah. So that's my entire extent of cycle touring before I left for this trip. Well, that's um, incredibly great to did- throw yourself in the deep end like that. <laughs> Eleven thousand k's around the coast. Yeah. Um, that was I your first trip, and this was your second. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm an all or nothing kind of guy. I can't help it. <laughs> well, you've mentioned your um, pack raft trip as well, and I just want to touch on that. Tell me about your North Island pack rafting adventure. When did you do that? What did it entail? And for the newbies out there, what's a pack raft? <laughs> after the bike ride i sort of went and got another full-time job for five years and my boss actually said to me my boss weirdly i met on the bike ride okay. um we worked 
We used to work for the same company. Yeah. I left, went on the bike ride, met my boss on day two of the bike ride at this campground, met my future boss, sorry. Um, <laughs> and then after the bike ride, after the England experiment, came back here and ended up working for five years with Ruben, my uh, my esteemed boss. And he gave me the job on the um, condition that I was going to hang around for a few years because he knew what I was like. And then when <laughs> he actually left before me. <laughs> Did that give um, you the after, freedom to leave after he yeah. left then? No, it's, yeah, it's, it's Essentially, I handed my notice in and then we were told he'd handed his notice in like, I don't know, it must have been a week's difference or something. Oh, funny. And, um, and I was like, oh, so you're off before me then. Okay, well, I'm going off to do this. And I'd had um, this desire in, 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 in the heart to just get out and do something different. And I discovered pack rafts. I got really into hiking after after yeah. the bike ride because New Zealand is just wonderful for for hiking and if you want to be outdoors and you want to spend a lot of time outdoors and just go hiking so I really got into hiking and challenging myself on these sort of little mini overnight missions and things and I went how do I get across that lake the, the trek ends at the lake I want to go beyond it mm-hmm. and I discovered pack rafts and a lot of people pack rafts are really for whitewater rafting and smashing down grade four South Island rivers <laughs> and, and that yeah. kind of thing in a team of eight of you but for me the pack raft this wonderful inflatable boat that fits on the back of your pack is about getting across that place that no one's ever been before or very few people have ever gone before Mm. um and i began to wonder well i've done the coast what if i could do the, the the center of both islands what if i could raft as much as possible pack the boat up on my pack hike for a bit then when i find water again blow the boat up put my pack on the front and cross that body of water then pack it up and so on right down the whole country so i managed to plot and get an idea of a route from cape ranger to cape palliser which is the the top to the bottom of the north island Mm -hmm. and last year i spent (laughs) many months on and off uh completing that so i've now done the north island and the plan is to carry on and do the south island um I kicked off at Cape Miranga. Te Araroa goes down the west coast, down 90 Mile Beach. I went yeah. east over to um, Spirits Bay, uh, mm. and dragged a couple of mates with me on that, that first first experiment in the height of summer. I love doing things in the height of summer or starting things <laughs> in the height of summer. We basically ran out of water um, oh, no. and we were checking the topo map furiously for where the nearest stream was and then we found the stream and uh, I'm glad I had a water purifier. That's all I'll oh. say. It wasn't a, wasn't a nice-looking stream. <laughs> Um, carried on Spirits Bay, then crossed the um, the harbour there at the uh, on the east on the east side to get onto Great Exhibition Bay. Mm-hmm. Trundled down Great Exhibition Bay, and that's then, the um, one with the beautiful white sand, isn't it? That's yeah. like squeaky. It, yeah, it's an extension of Tararua. Uh, uh, it's yeah. the extension of Great Exhibition Bay. So it's just around a little tiny rocky bluff yeah, from Great X. The Great X so is about beautiful. 30Ks long, and then you've got one more kilometre, and that's to Raruba, Raruba mm-hmm. with the squeaky white sand. But Great X is the same all the way down. And yeah. as I walked down it, I just thought so few people ever come here. There's yeah. a little bit of limited access for Iwi. Yeah. Um, if you've got a boat, you can get there, but most people with boats just go fishing, right? Yeah. Um, so I walked down this beach. I mean, I ran out of water and I had to, well, I didn't have to. I bushed bashed through to, to Radawa at the end, but it turns out at low tide you can just walk around the rocks. <laughs> um, got poked in the eye of a stick. And when I arrived at the dock camp there, um, Simon, uh, one of the camp wardens over summer, he took my pack off and he went, geez, that weighs a lot. I mean, I've carried some heavy stuff in my life, but I reckon that must be getting on for 30, 40 kgs. That. And that's when it dawned on me. 
you're not going to complete this in one hit, Dunk. Um, you're going to need to rethink this a little bit. So I got to yeah. Pukanui, which is that last four square as you drive north to Cape Dringa. Yeah. And I quit. I gave up. I um I had a I, I did four days and I, I gave up and I was convinced that I was giving up for good. I was not going to continue this adventure. I was going to go back to Auckland, live in a flat, and get a job. Um, but that didn't happen. Uh, <laughs> beginning of March, I carried on. So um, yeah, I picked it back up again. So it's taken uh, the quitting. There's been um, uh, an injury to my wrist. Uh, anyone outdoors who who finds they're without a can opener and can't open a can, do not recommend. Uh, raiding the dock camp kitchen for a knife <laughs> fork any implement you can find and woodpeckering your way into the, oh. the tin of beans it will damage your wrist or it very likely will damage your wrist that is um, good to know I keep that in mind yeah you might not realize it for 36 hours but yeah there's a, a lot of pain on the way if you do do that we'll take um, so a can opener with me <laughs> yeah always take a can opener or if you're like me I didn't have one because I was traveling light yeah. um, make sure you just look at what you're buying in the supermarket <laughs> yeah i wouldn't normally buy a can but it was a treat i was only eight k's from the can <laughs> uh so yeah quit many times or like quit had to pause many times shall we say over uh mm-hmm. over 2022 but i finally got to cape palliser on december the 31st last year oh that's awesome so that was would have been almost 12 months of doing it in little sections and yeah yeah have you had yeah. mates for bits of that or was most of it done solo uh, I had two mates from the Cape for the first day. Yeah. I've had my girlfriend join me on the Ponganui River take two. So actually the aforementioned wrist injury happened on the Ponganui River. Happened right. before the Ponganui River. Didn't yeah. didn't flare up until I was on the river. <laughs> um, I was so gutted because I was going great guns. And if you haven't been on uh, Ponganui Awa, it's just a wonderful, wonderful part of the country once you're in that national park. Mm. And I was having such a good time and then suddenly my wrist went, no, you're not. You're not carrying on anymore. Aww. And it started crunching. And I went, mm, time to go to hospital at Tomaranui. Yeah. Um, so we did take two in November last year. Uh, my girlfriend joined me yeah. and we went down the river and she left at Pipiriki, which is where most people get off. And okay. I carried on down with a load of Adorowans, which was fantastic. Yeah. And the river actually hit like a sort of, I don't know, must have been three or four meters above its normal level. It hit, hit flood while wow. we were staying at the, um, the Flying Fox. Okay. Um, anyone who's done Te Aro will know Flying Fox. We're staying there, and luckily, it's well, it might have been sold now. I saw it was for sale recently, but it was owned and run by a former river guide who kept an eye on everyone's boats at night and pulled them up up the bank because um, they'd nowhere near left enough slack for their their boats mm-hmm. were going to get washed away with that kind of flood. Wow. But anyway, we all jumped on the river the next day and flew down to Fonganui in about four hours or four and a half hours, something wow. silly. Yeah. Um, and then apart from that, oh, and my girlfriend joined me for the Aorangi Range as well, which is this little known um, tramping zone at the very southern tip of the North Island. It's sort of southeast of Tararua Range. Yeah. And it's it offers a really wild traverse if anyone's into um into a bit of a, a crazy tramp it's if you google it you'll probably find the other aldangi crossing which is a cycleway which runs from east to west and lots of people have said to me oh you'll be fine it's easy uh, i've taken my bike through there it's no problem but there's an aldangi <laughs> crossing the other direction north south yeah and that's yeah. a very different one you won't get a, you won't get a bike through there not in a hurry <laughs> we did it in two days and i still to this day have no idea how we got through that in two days especially with me. (laughs) 
carrying a pack raft on my back. But. Oh, sounds like quite an achievement. Um, what are your plans for the South Island section now of that pack raft traverse? Um, when are you going to sort of start and will you go right from Queen Charlotte all the way to Rakiura, Stewart Island, or what's the plan? Mm, Queen Charlotte, they're a little bit too far south. I'm going to start at Cape Farewell. Um, okay. Yeah. <laughs> because I'm a, complete, uh, a completist. I don't know what the word is. Uh, Will I, you do the cook straight as well in a pack raft? Oh, you know, I would if I had a support boat. <laughs> yeah. I, I definitely would with a support boat. I wouldn't do yeah. it on my own. I've got a That's friend who kayaked. Yeah, I think so with those currents. Um, I've got a friend who kayaked around the whole of Aotearoa, um, uh, Lynn, and she wrote this wonderful book called Finding Solo. Mm. And she crossed the Cook Strait in the middle of the night <laughs> on her own in a kayak. And that to me is legendary. That cannot be beaten. Even me <laughs> doing it during the day in a pack craft would not beat her effort of just waiting for the right moment when the wind and everything died down and the tides yeah. were right and just gunning it straight across. And she actually went from, uh, from Wellington to... Um, much further down the east coast i think she was almost like blenheim or something by the time she actually touched the south island that sounds epic um yeah tempting maybe one day do the uh, cook straight and an inflatable that'll be a story wouldn't it (laughs) that's awesome well it's been really amazing to hear about both of these massive expeditions um do you have sort of one learning that you've had from both the the big loop that you cycled and for your traverse is there one thing that you've learned that you can sort of share with the audience? My main thing that I learned on the bike ride and that I carried through to the Waka and YY journey, which was my packraft journey and mm. will continue one day as my packraft journey, is that stuff will go wrong mm. and it's how you deal with it when stuff goes wrong that matters. So I mentioned the broken wheel on the Heafy track earlier. Um, I didn't flip out or anything. I was 100 kilometers from Westport. The Westport um, bike shop is yeah probably uh, a little bit more of a, a toy shop than a natural bike shop so I wasn't going to yeah. go that way so I decided pretty quickly I'm going to go through the heafy track with a broken wheel what can I do about that to stem the flow minimize any potential disaster got the old zip ties out the cable ties wrap them around uh, the tire and um, and just well, I've wrapped about eight or ten of them around around the tire as tightly as I could to prevent the tire from sort of pushing too much out the rim where mm-hmm. the wheel was split um, when I was on the Waka and Waiwai journey the packraft journey I got to the southern end of Topor Lake and a similar thing happened uh, nothing broke but I got trapped something went wrong and I just sort of, rather than panicking, I went, do you know what? I've got everything I need here. I've got dinner. I've got a tent. I've got shelter. Let's just find the best place to set up and we'll carry on in the morning. And it's just about rationalizing any terrible thing that happens, thinking about it for a moment and going, okay, how do I get out of this here? Mm. Um, so you asked a broad question. I've given you a broad answer. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've actually had two moments that came to mind as I was listening to you that were pretty terrifying things going wrong one was solved by zip ties and the other was I can stay here if I need I have water I have food we can deal with this later so it's really funny that you mentioned that but I've got two exact scenarios that kind of line up with that that have come to mind so I think that is solid advice carry zip ties don't panic and make sure you've got water (laughs) yeah pretty (laughs) much 
Well, Dunk, it's been incredible to hear your stories. We're at the end of our time, but where can people find you on socials if they want to follow along and see your past adventures and follow along with the rest of your pack craft adventure? And where can people find your book? Generally, Googling Dunk Wilson NZ brings up everything you ever need to know about me if that's uh, something you want to do. Uh, dunkwilson.co.nz is my website. Dunk Wilson NZ, uh, Instagram handle, Facebook is Dunk Wilson Adventures. And I'm on YouTube as well, Dunk Wilson Adventures. The book's actually out of print, but don't let that put you off. Uh, there are ways and means of getting hold of copies. I still see them in some stores. Paper Plus has them. Uh, libraries around the country still have them. If your local library doesn't, have it then go and ask and maybe they'll track down a copy um and you can always send me a message on my website and i'll point you in the right direction there are people on trade me who are dealing in the black market secondhand uh, of, <laughs> uh, copies of the big loop and uh, yeah we have ways so get in touch if you want that's awesome and i'll make sure that all of that's linked in the description i also noted that um on your website or in your email signature or something it says you write about hot chips <laughs> well, this this actually comes from the fact that I'm a vegan and spending time in the backcountry, um, often, I mean, I mean, I've heard you mention uh, the backcountry meals and they do vegan options. So I often am in the backcountry and I've got one of those and I'm fine, but then I'll get to a really small town and the only potentially vegan offering involves either a packet of chips or some hot chips. <laughs> and it's amazing how much you crave carbs and salt and potatoes when you're oh, on an adventure <laughs> so often i just i just become a bit of a hot chip connoisseur in parts of the country oh, um, awesome. it was carrot cake and if coffee people want to know microphone. where the best hot chips are hit up dunk <laughs> i'll point, try and point you in the right direction <laughs> well thank you so much for having a chat this this evening it's been amazing to hear about your adventures even though um the first one was a couple of years ago but you're right in the middle of your next expedition so thank you so much for sharing both of those with us no, thank you so much for having me and thank you for what you do. I've listened to a few of your episodes now and it's a genuinely good listen oh, and that's just awesome. what is needed in the New Zealand like outdoor scene. So I really appreciate it. I'm glad someone picked up the baton and ran with it. Thank you. <laughs> I love that. Thanks, Dunk. It was so cool hearing Dunk's stories and I just I just love the stories of people that dive right in and just have an adventure without planning the whole thing out and just being able to sort of wing it. But I love that Dunk also knew and understood his limits and with the North Island Packraft trip split it up into more manageable bite-sized sort of adventures. I think there's so many lessons that we can learn from the outdoors and if there's one thing you took away from this, spend more time outside, breathe in that air, those smells from the bush, from the sea and just enjoy the simple things in life. Just before you go, this month is the New Zealand Podcast Awards and I've got a 10 second favour to ask. It would mean the absolute world to me if you could leave a rating for this podcast. Wherever you're listening, if you're on Apple or Spotify, it will literally take 10 seconds to leave a review and to show the world how much you love this show. Do it right now while I'm waiting. I am so grateful for every single one of my listeners and I can say that this community is growing and it's growing fast with almost 2,000 podcast listens in the last month. It's a massive achievement 
achievement for an independent podcast. I'm really excited to enter the podcast awards this year and make sure you're following me at Abigail Hannah on Instagram because voting will be open soon for the People's Choice Award and I'll have all the real-time updates over on Insta. And it's been 10 seconds so thank you for leaving a review and I can't wait to have you back next week for another banging episode. Until next time, keep adventuring.